0: Welcome to the News Talk 730 Week in Review Podcast. This podcast is intended to bring you up to speed on the latest happenings in Billings, Montana, and our nation. Now, here's Scott
1: Fredericks. And welcome to our weekly podcast. We're recording this program on Saturday, January the 19th, and uh, my co-host this morning has been a friend of mine for... I was trying to figure this one out. Ed McIntosh is with me. You've been... Friends, what, 25 years, something
2: like that? Yeah, I think easy. That yeah. long. Yeah,
1: And, of course, uh, Ed uh, does uh, daily weather on KTVQ. You're a, a meteorologist and all that other good stuff. But you got your radio start where I got my radio start. In northeast Montana. this uh, Give a little history about yourself.
2: Yeah well actually I got started in radio and it was always uh, even when I was a little kid I wanted to work in radio and I got into it kind of in a you know, the backdoor sort of way where uh, a brand new radio station was starting in Sydney Montana and the guy who was going to run the place offered me a job to come to work as the engineer. To actually, get all the electronics going. And I said, Yeah, I'll do it as long as I get a chance to be on the air. So that was back in the very early 80s. And then from there, I uh, just kept working in the business ever since. So, what got you?
1: passionate about weather because when you talk about weather when I mention the word weather to you you get this glistening in your eyes and you you just get all twitterpated there you know
2: yeah actually again that was kind of working in through the back door I'd been working in the radio business and uh, one of the local tv stations was looking for a part-time weekend guy and I thought you know I'd be a fun way to make a little extra money and you know, get a different kind of experience. It sounded like fun. But once I got started, I really got wrapped up into the weather and I really enjoy the math. I enjoy the science of it. And so the two of them just went together very well.
1: Well, uh, today we're going to talk about many different topics. Of course, the government shutdown, the keto diet. We're going to be talking about the oil rigs. We're going to be talking about the USS Billings. Uh, Mayor Cole just came back from Florida. They have to raise right around $370,000, so we're going to be talking about that. Uh, We're going to be talking about some of the bills that are going through the state legislature right now that the Montana Attorney General's Office is working with. And also a, a tough subject. But Montana's number one per capita of suicides and one out of every five suicides are veterans. So we're going to be talking with the folks from the Veterans Affairs of Montana about suicides here in the big sky country. So uh, our first topic is the government shutdown. And as of Friday, I think it was day number 26. After a while, you give up counting. And the largest, longest government shutdown date before that went all the way back to 1995 during the Clinton administration and I think that one went on just for 25 days so this yeah 21 down.
2: days I think when that days, one yeah. Newt Gingrich I remember was in charge of uh of uh, uh Really, the shutdown at that point in time, this one's taken on a whole new life of itself. And talking to guys from the government who went through that first shutdown, remember it, but they look at it differently because they could see that they were involved with it. This time, I think the mood among a lot of the government employees is different because they really just see themselves as victims of a different kind of fight.
1: You deal with part of the government during the weather service. Let's talk about how that has affected them because you talk to these guys Probably every day, every couple days, something like that.
2: Absolutely. I have a lot of uh, contact with them and other departments in the government as well because... You know, the weather influences so many different elements of what's going on. Uh, but a lot of it is just their regular routine stuff. They're basically seen as emergency services, so the regular forecasting, that sort of thing, is being done. But a lot of the regular meetings and the things that we would have are being postponed or they're being canceled during, uh, be- during the shutdown because they're not really seen as being emergency services. So a lot of the routine stuff that helps, even with the State Department of Highways, Disaster and Emergency Services different state and local agencies are being cut back during this because they're not emergencies.
1: Um, I had a chance to talk with Linda Kenyon, a Westwood one, a little bit earlier this week, and we talked about the TSA. And uh, it used to be about 3% would call in per day sick or whatever it is. It's about 7%. So a lot of people out there thought, well, they just aren't getting paid so they don't want to go to work. But Linda had a different take on it.
3: But a lot of them, um, they have to pay other people when they go to work for child care. Well, if they can't afford to pay for child care, they're going to have to, a lot of them have been calling in sick, not because they're sick, but because they can't meet their daily expenses when they do go to work. So if you do have to pay for things like child care when you go to work and you're not getting any pay yourself, uh, you've already reached pay past your point of diminished returns, and you really have to have to make some serious choices, and people have been doing that.
1: So is there a, a ray of sunshine anywhere coming up here, Linda?
3: You know, honestly, I, I just don't see how we crack this open. I don't see how either side is going to blink on this situation. I, I, no one has ever seen anything like this. And, uh, and like I said, when, when we started our conversation, this is the era of Expect the Unexpected. So um, we we just don't
1: know what's going to happen. That's Linda Kenyon of Westwood One News talking about a different side of it, uh, that some government employees have to pay daycare and they don't have any money to do it, so they're just staying home.
2: Absolutely. And and I think a lot of these workers are in very tough positions because of things like daycare and just, you know, meeting those basic expenses. A lot of the uh, financial institutions have been good about stepping up and saying, we'll put off mortgages. But I know I've talked to some of the government employees that pay rent. And, you know, the landlord still expects that check on time because they have their expenses they have to make. So it puts them in a tough position.
1: Also, I talked to Rod Austin Miller, who's our brand new U.S. Marshal. He was sworn in earlier last year, and uh, he talked about how it affected his department. Well,
0: you know, Scott, you know, there are certain
1: aspects of uh, of the of
0: our operations that get impacted by the shutdown. Um, perhaps the the biggest one is our inability to pay, you know, some of the bills that we've racked up um, over the course of the last month or two, which really. You know, it's a little unsettling to me because we, we do owe people money because of the business, type of business that we do. And uh, um, so that's probably the biggest one. Um, other than that, from an operational standpoint, really no impact at all. My deputies have been at work uh, since day one of the shutdown and they've been arresting people, uh, producing people for court. And in reality, Scott, it's been fairly productive. Well, know, given the circumstances
1: you know just like rod was saying and there you know some of their vendors aren't getting paid right now and a vendor being like the yellowstone county detention facility because i forget how many uh prisoners that the u.s marshal service has there per night and everything like that so in a roundabout way it switches back to yellowstone county a little bit you know if u.s marshal service can't pay some of their bills well county is probably number one there you know, detaining prisoners for
2: him. And I'm sure a lot of other people that do a lot of contracts with the government also being slow on pay. So that trickle down effect certainly will have some influence, even once this shuts down, I'm sure for months to come. I
1: had a chance to talk with Brian Kilme of uh, Fox and Friends. And of course, he's on our daily uh, radio show here. And he's, you know, he's a friend of the president. And I asked him when the shutdown was going to end.
2: I am not sure. I really am not. I, I think that Senator McConnell's got to get involved, and he's got to find out where the what the president actually will accept. The president does move the goalposts a lot. First, he you know he wanted two point he he was willing to sign off on one point six, then he went up to two point five, and then he went up to five point seven. And having said that, uh, they don't they're not budging at all, so they're not even participating in the negotiation. Uh, my sense is uh, the polls show the Democrats are not to blame for this; that Republicans are. But the longer this goes, uh, and with the Democrats refusing to even come in and talk about this or say anything of substance when it comes to the border, the barrier, uh, then I think that they're, they're, those will, uh, polls will start to balance out.
1: Very interesting what Brian just said about, you know, right now the polls are in favor of the Democrats, that they don't really blame the Democrats as much as they blame the president on this whole shutdown. So who knows when it's going to, you know, end. And I think that's the big question in everybody's mind now. At first, then I, I'm going to say to myself, okay, this has happened, you know, goes on for a couple of days, something is all figured out about it, and the government gets open and everything. But, you know, these people that are working or have been furloughed, they have lost now two checks. Right. Two checks, and there would probably be three or four checks. So you just wonder how long they can survive with that.
2: You know, a lot of families, whether they work in the government or otherwise, work paycheck to paycheck, and One, two, there, you know, most people say we're just a couple of paychecks away from needing help. And it's nice that there are some agencies that are stepping up, but for a lot of these people, they, they want to just go out and work and be a contributing part of society like anybody else. So they're really stuck in the middle.
1: You know, and uh, folks like Stockman Bank, other banks, you know, stepped up, okay, you have a loan with us, we're going to defer it for you. Uh, Northwest Energy, I know they're doing it on a case-by-case basis, but uh, they're deferring some the uh, electric payments too and everything like that. So the community in the state of Montana. I just noticed PayPal is going to try and do something, too, for folks that owe them money and everything like that. So that should be interesting.
2: Yes, but even still, a lot of that's deferred. There's still interest in yeah. accruing. Yeah. And, you know, and just the pride of being able to go out and work and earn a paycheck. I mean, that could be hurt during this as well.
1: Very much so. Well, uh, I talked to Senator Tester earlier this week. Of course, he's on the Democratic side. Senator Dane's on the Republican side. But I asked the senator about a word called compromise.
0: And that's how, the, that's how our democracy is set up to work, is to get people in the room. Nobody gets everything they want, but, but you get a livable solution when you walk out the door. Our challenge right now is these bills have all passed the Senate. The funding bills for the, for the six appropriations uh, have gone through the appropriations process and passed. Uh, four of them passed the Senate floor unanimously, uh, and so, and they went over to the House, and Speaker Ryan wouldn't take them up. And then Congress changed. Um, the House passed these bills, and now uh, Leader McConnell will not bring them on the floor of the Senate to pass them. I don't understand what's going on here, but I do understand that uh, there are games being played, and I think the American people are sick of those games. and I certainly am with them in that act. And I think, and I've made several speeches on the floor of this, that if le- the, 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 the legislative branch, the judicial branch, and the executive branch are co-equal branches of government. They're supposed to be. And so we shouldn't be asking for a permission slip from President Trump to pass any piece of legislation. We should do what the legislative branch does, and that is pass the legislation, put it on the president's desk, if the president vetoes it, we have an opportunity to override that veto and move forward. And in the case of the four bills that passed unanimously, I can't imagine that there wouldn't be enough votes to pass those bills again in the Senate and override a potential veto, and at least put some of those workers back to work. But to be honest with you, I think all six of them would pass, and I think all six of them would pass with a, with a majority uh, big enough that, that it would be veto-proof. So the bottom line here is, is this is the longest shutdown in history. Montana has the second highest per capita government workers in the country, only only surpassed by Alaska. We have 14,000 federal employees in our state. 7,000 of those are not being paid at all. A lot of these folks are security folks like TSA officers, folks that work at the northern border and the Customs and Ports and Border Protection. A lot of them work at our Farm Service Agency offices. Some of them work at, at SBA and, and give put out loans for small businesses to be able to expand and employ people. This there's no winners here. So let's open the government. If we want to talk about border security, which I think is important to talk about, let's talk about the best way to secure the southern border that's most cost-effective and most effective overall uh, to get that job done, and and let's know what we're getting into. Let's have the plan when we move forward. You know, I, I hear a lot of folks, the president included, stand up and say, well, you know, people have voted for a wall before. Uh, Yeah, we did in a comprehensive immigration package that solved a whole bunch of problems and had a plan on how that money was to be spent. There isn't a plan on how $5.7 billion is to be spent. how you deal with the eminent domain issue and and how you can move the country forward. On the other side of the coin, and we've got a lot of companies in the United States that hit this, we can do some stuff with technology for pennies on the dollar for what it will cost for a wall that will be incredibly effective. And, and move that ball forward. But we need to have some analysis done, and that analysis hasn't been done.
1: Senator John Tester talking about the government shutdown, compromise, and uh, I think we just might be past the word compromise right now because how many meetings have both the Republicans and Democrats had both together, and we're still sitting on that uh, President uh, uh uh, Trump said no to Nancy Pelosi going overseas using government plane and everything like that. Basically, members of the congressional staff getting on the buses ready to go to the airport and said no go.
2: Yeah, well, I think also, too, there's been a lot of those non-meetings where there's been opportunities to get together and on both sides have held back. So perhaps that's the one thing that the public in general could probably agree on if uh, if there's any kind of a compromise is that, people from both sides outside of government are saying it's time to finally get together.
1: Oh, the 66 legislative session is going on. It started on January 7th. There's over 3,000 bills that are going to be talked about in this legislature. The highest number before that was back in 1973. I think Tom Judge was the governor back in those days, and that was like 2,600. But 3,000 bills, it, you know, from, you know, talking about the budget to stocking rules and everything like that. So there's a lot of stuff that is going through the uh, the legislative session. I know KTVQ has been up there and uh, been covering that. You know, as a news entity like KTVQ, how important is it to get that word out to the viewers what's going on up at the Montana State Legislature.
2: Well, I think a lot of it is just trying to touch on those areas that will most impact people and the things that maybe they want to have some input. You start talking about that many bills, on a practical application, I think a lot yeah. of the important legislation ends up getting lost in the in the cluster. And there are so many bills that I think a lot of legislators know won't ever make it out of committee. And I think that maybe there needs to be a little look at uh, what maybe should be taken off the table right away or things that maybe we could uh, take some of those bills and, and put some things together.
1: I know one thing that is gonna be going through the state legislature is one big sky district, uh, Roger Webb, who's a senator from this area, he uh, has been talking about a lot about it and he was on the KTVQ, I can't remember what night he was and he was talking about it and he says basically he's just uh, talking to different members of his party just to see where what they feel about it because you know, if they do pass it, you know, people over in Butte, Montana, Kalispell are going to be paying for partially of this. And when that sometimes goes, people are saying, why are we paying for something in Billings, Montana? So it should be an interesting deal.
2: Absolutely. And I think a lot of times when we've seen this sort of thing in the past, there are those con- those uh, members of the legislature from other parts of the state will take a serious look at it and say, you know, we need to concentrate on things that are more statewide.
1: Another thing I want to talk about, and I really like this, the USS Billings. Uh, Of course, Charlotte Tester is the sponsor of the ship. But uh, Mayor Bill Cole was down in Florida earlier this week uh, just to see how the commissioning of the USS Wichita went. And he says there's a lot of pageantry down there, just a lot of different things going on there. I think it's great that the city of Billings has a ship named after himself.
2: I had an opportunity to talk with one of the uh, members of the military who's involved with the USS Billings uh, project and all of those projects when it comes to the ships and said that As far as he was concerned, Billings was one of the most passionate communities about uh, having a ship named after them of any of the communities he's worked with. And I think that speaks well for uh, the military community here in in Billings and in Montana.
1: Well, Mayor Cole, when I was talking to him, said about $370,000 is needed to be raised for this event. Uh, And I did have a chance uh, earlier in the week to talk to him about the commissioning of the USS Wichita also Councilmember Yankovich and uh, County Commissioner Dennis Pittman first of all Mayor Bill Cole so uh, the commissioning that was Mayor Bill Cole uh, Yellowstone County Commissioner Dennis Pittman and Councilperson Yakovich talking about the USS Billings. All those guys are on the crew and uh, they uh, on the on the fundraising uh, group. Uh, they they said sometime uh, either this fall or as early as summer, this uh, USS Billings is going to be commissioned.
2: Yeah, it was it's an exciting time for the community. And I think it's something we could take pride in moving ahead.
1: Well, uh, next subject is, OK, you know, it, You had a heart attack, I forget how many years ago. It was
2: about, uh, we're going on almost six years.
1: Wow. You're feeling good now. I'm feeling good. But you lost some weight. I did. So what was the weight loss that you did, that you just wanted to live longer? Was that kind of the deal to go (laughs) with?
2: You know, that was a big part of it. You know, I tell the story often about my heart surgeon walking in. We hadn't even been introduced yet. Uh, He didn't say, hi, how are you? He said, do you know how much a guy your height is supposed to weigh? And that kind of set the tone right there. And uh, so I've tried to watch it. I mean, there are a lot of good things to want to live for.
1: Yeah. Well, I had a chance uh, because uh, I'm on the keto diet right now. And uh, I've tried the Atkins diet and everything like that. So people are going, okay, what's the difference between the Atkins diet and the keto diet? Here's Alex a Total Nutrition to kind of fill you in a little bit more.
4: Like the Atkins diet, it's like eat anything but carbs. Keto, you want to make sure you have a high quantity of fat moderate protein intake, and low carb. So, I mean, keto's not for everyone for a starter. Everyone responds to it differently. My body actually responds very slowly to it. So, um, our body will run off two different energy sources. You have glycogen, which you get from carbs, and sugar, and then you get your ketones, which your liver breaks down fat into. Our body loves carbs because it's super easy for it to break down and run off of. But fat... Our body will run off it more smoothly, whereas carbs will kind of have a spike of energy here and there um, so our body will primarily run off carbs if we have them but when we have a higher intake of fat and no carbs, our bodies force a transition over to that.
1: You know, and I think something that, uh, because I'm on this, uh, people should realize there are good carbs and there are bad carbs. You know, like the good carbs are like the the broccoli, the uh, Brussels sprouts, asparagus, all that good stuff like that.
4: Yeah, yeah. More of your complex carbs. Uh, sweet potatoes is another good one as well. Your carbs you want to stay away from are your sugars, processed stuff like pop tarts. Yeah. Um, sugar is the killer. I mean, because sugar is what spikes your insulin and insulin tells your body to store. So whenever you're eating sugar or carbs, your body is trying to store. And if you're overeating it or if you're eating late at night before bed, all those carbs, that's when your body is going to store fat. Whereas when you eat a high-fat diet, your insulin never spikes. So it helps make sure that you're burning energy constantly. You're not really storing excess energy.
1: You know, uh, on this keto diet, okay, high-fat there are some good high fats and some bad.
4: Yeah. So yep.
1: this time, you know, like they say, one of the best fats out there is avocados, correct?
4: Yes. Avocado oil. Um, avocado mayo is my favorite. That's one of the things that kind of people know me for on Instagram is I throw <clears throat> avocado mayo in with everything. Oh, my, uh. my go-to dish, um, whether it's lunchtime or in the evening, is it's a can of tuna, a whole bunch of sauerkraut, and then a big old heaping scoop of avocado mayo. Looks horrible. Tastes really good.
1: Sauerkraut? Yes. Okay. okay. Minnesota. Mi- Minnesota. <laughs> German. You know, so when you go on a diet like this, it's pretty hardcore. And, and uh, you need a lot of different things to keep this diet going. Let's talk about some of the supplements that, you know, people should take that you know are available over total nutrition
4: yeah so first and foremost it does seem like it's a really tough diet but that's basically because we're all brought up with the old school food pyramid where it's supposed to be seven servings of grains every day so our body has been tuned our whole lives to love and crave carbs so it's hard to make the transition over because our body our liver is really tuned to breaking down carbs and not so much fat So the keto diet seems really hard, but after you get into it, get your body switched over and tuned to burning fat and breaking that down for energy, it becomes really easy, actually. It's just the initial two, three weeks of transitioning over to, you know, getting that bread and all those carbs out of your diet. And then as far as supplements go, I mean, a really good one is the one that really blew up most is your ketones. So all ketones are, exogenous ketones is just broken down fat. So your liver doesn't have to worry about processing it, changing it over. So that's the big one that really helps prime your liver um, into breaking down fat for energy. So that's one that's helped me a lot. I've seen a lot of people. I've seen it help a lot of other people. um, Because the big thing is when you start doing the keto diet, your body goes through what's called the keto flu. And there's ways to mitigate that. And that's when your body gets super low on energy. It's not comfortable breaking down fat. And that's when exogenous ketones can help you with that. And then they're also used basically like a shot of energy too. So when you are in keto, it's the same as like if you give a, give a kid a, a big old heaping s- scoop of sugar, they start bouncing off the walls because of the instant energy. That's what ketones do as well. So those help a lot. Then you also have your protein. Um, people are, are are very iffy whether or not they should take protein, what kind they can take. Just a very lean protein. It's higher protein content, low carbs to no carbs. Um, and low fat, but you just want to make sure you don't get too much protein in your diet. Because yeah. um, if you over consume protein, your body will go through what's called glucoglygenesis, where it actually starts converting your protein into carbs. And then that's not what you want your body to break protein down into. You want it to be used as branched chain amino acids, which are used for repair and recovery in your body.
1: They call Alex the keto commander over at, Total, Nutri- Commander. Uh, I like at uh, that. Total Nutrition, he's a great guy, uh, he eats a lot of tuna fish, avocados and everything, but I think, you know, to lose weight, and I know I'm doing that right now, you, you have to if you want to live longer, that's, yeah. you know, pure and simple as it is, you know.
2: And I think with all of this, whether we pick a, t- a particular kind of diet or lifestyle or whatever it is, it really just has to come down to something you feel comfortable with and something you can live with long
1: term. You know, okay, that's where we need to go right there, long term, because, okay, you had a heart attack, you had some heart issues and everything, you went on this diet, but you want to live longer because you have three daughters, one grandchild child right now and everything like that sustaining that you know is you know keeping that weight loss going or at least maintaining that's the tough part there you can lose the weight but keeping it off that's the big thing i've done so many diets in my life you know the yo-yo diet and everything like that you know you just get you know but it it takes something that you can live with for the rest of your life because basically the way that you're eating is just your lifestyle change
2: Absolutely. And and I think it's just trying to find that balance. And things that initially happened after I had my heart attack, I remember the uh, hospital gave us a survey, and my wife and I sat and thought, well, you know what? We eat pretty healthy. Yeah. At least we thought we did. We filled out this survey and then found out there was a whole lot of things I was doing wrong, but yeah. I really wasn't aware of them. So as the uh, lifestyle changes started to kick in, there were things I used to crave that I don't anymore, uh, and things that I crave now that I never thought I'd like. Yeah. And, you know,
1: you've lost this weight and everything. You cheat every once in a while. Sure. Yeah, you've seen me. Yeah.
2: (laughs) But I think you have
1: to cheat every once in a while just to wet that palate a little bit and and not really go off the deep end.
2: That's right. You know, and I think part of it is, you know, the old saying, everything in moderation, but you really need to learn what a moderate amount is. That yes. was something for me, what I thought was like a moderate, well, I was really off the scale. So uh, really learning what, uh, what overall I think is healthy for you and what you can live with and live without yeah. is an important part of that.
1: Well, uh, you used to live in in northeast Montana just like I did. Oil business was huge back then. And uh, we got out of there before the second big boom. We were there during the first boom and the first bust. And I have a friend named Greg Cross, Cross Petroleum Service. Uh, He was there during the first big boom and he was there during the first big bust. And uh, when the big boom the second time came about, he knew how to handle it you know, because he saw the, you know, what happened back in the bus area and everything like that. And, you know, up in Northeast Montana, Western North Dakota, they were riding high there for a long time where they were building like motel after motel after motel. And they you know, basically the workers, you know, people, people that own businesses there couldn't get people to work because it was such a big demand for workers over there and everything and mostly it was over in the north dakota side but sydney where you were born and you know you know grew up at that had a big impact in that area too.
2: Absolutely, And we had the same thing where so many people, including myself, I went out and, and uh, worked in the oil. Uh, you did, Eddie. I did.
1: I never. Were you aroused about? Or no, are you? Are you, are you I,
2: hey, I had one of the better jobs. I was. Uh, I worked with uh, the survey companies back in the first go round, where uh, I was a permit agent. I would go out and get the uh, the rights <laughs> to go across and run the seismic lines. I uh, never knew that. Yeah.
1: So did you enjoy it?
2: I did. I have to say, though, that so often where I would see things happen with landowners and things up there, uh, it really got to wear on me after a while when I would see uh, seismic crews run across a beautiful stand of wheat and just... Cause havoc. And yeah. I know that, you know, the oil companies would try and reimburse the, uh, the, the farmers for what was happening or, you know, when they left gates open and, you know, the cattle got into places where they weren't supposed to get into. And after a while, frankly, it just wore me down oh, yeah. watching these landowners uh, really not being treated the way that they should have been in my point of view.
1: Well, I talked to this guy I have so much respect for. He's, uh, I call him my energy czar, uh, Brian Siebel, who is the CEO of G2 at Energy. He talked about the oil well count over North Dakota and Montana. The
0: current rig count actually is, is is very strong relative to the past few months in North Dakota. We're sitting about 68 rigs, which is up one rig over North Dakota. Uh, the rig count in Montana, I found one rig drilling in, in central Montana right now. And a lot of that, you know, to, to be honest with you, a lot of that is seasonal. It's, it's drilling wells in, in the wintertime in the, in the northern Rockies, quite frankly, or over in North Dakota is much more challenging. takes a lot more fuel, a lot more heat, uh, try, to, try to keep everything running, keep the floor warm. So it's a challenge. But, uh, you know, North Dakota's still got 68 rigs running, which is up one from the previous month. We did see a little bit of a drop in monthly production uh, between October and November, but only about 20,000 barrels a day.
1: So you're sitting at about 68 wells over in North Dakota. I think at one time they had about 118 or something over there. That was Brian Siebel, by the way, but I think they had about 118 wells over there at the high point
2: yeah and and, i mean it's influenced even so much around the billings area where we had so many people that were living and working in billings and then traveling up to northeastern montana to do their work uh you know there was no place to rent we were in the national news for the boom that was going on in eastern montana and into the dakotas so even though at the time you know, they said it's not going to be like the first time. You're not yeah. going to see it drop off. Yeah, all when it came, it came, and it was pretty harsh.
1: And I remember some car dealerships around Billings that sold pickups. They couldn't even keep the pickups on the lots because people are just buying the Dodge Rams, the Chevy Silverados, the Sierras, everything. they were just buying them up.
2: Yes, yeah, and I think uh, if we see another push up in the uh, in the oil, I think in northeastern Montana and in North Dakota, people will be a little more cautious. They'll make money when they can. Yeah. But they'll be cautious about expansion.
1: Um, when I started out the program, I talked about the different uh, things that we were going to be talking about. This is something I'm very passionate about as veterans. Montana has, number one per capita, the highest suicide rate in uh, the whole United States. Uh, and out of every five people that commit suicide here in the state of Montana, a veteran is one of them. And uh, th- there's coming a two-on-one uh, line here in Yellowstone County, also up in Lewis and Clark County, and where you know veterans can call, and veterans' family members. Like that's why I really like the Elizabeth Dole Foundation, Hidden Heroes, where the, where the wife and the kids, you know, they have to go through a lot of the things that the husband or the wife are going through, and everything like that but uh, people can call up this and you know get assistance you know maybe they might need some help with you know rent uh, a car payment groceries or whatever and uh, this 211 number will help them find the resources to do it so and I learned this off of criminal minds so that takes a stressor off them and so uh, they're going to have this 211 coming up I had a chance to talk with Douglas Steva who's uh, in charge of the suicide prevention program here in the state of Montana for the Veterans Affairs uh, Committee, and I asked uh, Doug first of all, what is the group that has the largest suicide?
4: There's two different numbers I want to throw out because I think they're both important. Um, our highest number of suicide are our age group of about 60 and over, so that's our Vietnam population. Now we have the most Vietnam veterans um, when you're, you're talking just numbers. Our highest rate of growth. That we're seeing is our younger demographic it's our 25 to 35 year olds those who are returning from our more recent wars now they don't have the most in highest numbers but for how many there are they are the highest growing
1: that was douglas Stefa, uh the va of the state of montana you know and when you think about you know all the sometimes what these military folks uh, went through when they were overseas iraq afghanistan of course the uh, you know, where they're seeing a lot of the suicides now are in the Vietnam veteran years and everything, you know, and, and, uh, you know, we were talking about it at breakfast, you know, when the Vietnam war was, you know, just ending, you know, I was, I think I was like 13, 14 years of age or whatever. And I remember watching it on the TV, Walter Cronkite, they would have the, you know, the, the tallies of how many people passed away, died that day. I remember going to my mom, I don't want to go, I don't want to go. And of course, you know, it ended uh, before, you know, I had to, you know, and everything like that. So that's where, you know, they're seeing a lot of the suicides are in our uh, Vietnam veterans.
2: Uh, it, it is tragic. And, of course, Montana, we always take our hat off, and it's a well-known statistic that we have one of the highest per capita uh, uh, demographics of people who have served in the military. Yeah. But on the other hand, being such a rural place, it can be very difficult to find the help when you when you really, really need it.
1: Now, uh, this is going to be a more fun part of the program so when you put this weather forecast together when you put your daily weather forecast together how precise is it i know you try and make it as precise as what you can but do you give yourself a little leeway you know if 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 you're seeing all the maps saying it's going to be like 20 degrees but you don't think you know so do you kind of go like uh, somewhere around 15 or 20 or do you stick on those hard numbers?
2: No not really because I mean even within a community the temperatures around the area can vary so much. I'll see it on any given morning where the Billings Airport could report you know say 20 degrees but it's going to be colder into areas even just outside of our area in Yellowstone County around Huntley and Shepherd. I know the air is colder there and I'll get reports so the temperatures definitely when I'm looking at what the predicted daytime high will be. Automatically, I'm thinking a spread from there because I know that even within our community there's going to be some variation. And one thing, too, is that there'll be days where uh, there's My uh, confidence level will be different depending on what the situation would be. There's going to be days when I'm going to be like, you know what? This is going to be a warm, sunny day, and it's going to be this way for a while. There's other times where my confidence level looking out, say, three, four days, could be uh, dramatically different. And you're picking a number in the middle and figuring, okay, we're going to have to fine-tune this as time goes on. So I think maybe that's one thing that I thought about that I need to make clearer to viewers and listeners as time goes on. is Where is that confidence level and exactly yeah. where the weather where where the weather's going to go?
1: Folks, you should just see his eyes glistening right now. He says, Ugh. <laughs> So, you know, we had a hard winter last year. Yes. It's going to be an easier one for us this year, right?
2: So far it has been. But, you know, we're really not that far below what an average winter is uh, as far as the temperatures and, and the snowfall has been. And I think it was harsh enough last year that even though we're settling a little bit more back in, I mean, the snowfall is a little bit lower than average uh but overall this is a more typical winter and i think after a couple of harsh years it's like wow this seems really easy on us this year but it's really just getting back to a little bit more of what we'd expect on on an an average year we'll get into a period of a little colder and snowier weather here for a while and uh, people will probably think it feels a little bit harsher after the mild conditions we've had at least less snowfall
1: well, Juan, thank you for coming in this morning. And, uh, of course, uh, people can see you Monday through Friday, KTVQ, starting at 5.30 in the morning, going till 7. Then you get in there during the noon hour, and uh, you love what you're doing.
2: Absolutely, and I want to thank everybody, too, because so much of what we're able to relay with weather is thanks to the listeners uh, that listen to the radio stations and the people who watch the television, and they keep us up to date on what's happening at their own home place, too, and we appreciate that.